I, I thought seriously about what I would talk about today, especially in Bible class, about family. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I kept thinking about something that hits every one of us, and, he, and especially in our families as well. Uh, we struggle in our families many times, and all of us have our issues and our problems within our family units. Some of the times it's with our children, and we pray and we pray and we pray and we say, Lord, you know, why, uh, why can't they be faithful? Lord, why uh, isn't this going on like it ought to be? Sometimes it's with our spouses. Sometimes it may be with our grandchildren. Sometimes it may be, and with the holidays coming up, we may be with family members we really don't want to be with, you know? And we've prayed about that relationship. And we've talked to God about all of that. Now, we do that with our physical family. And many times we do that with our spiritual family. We, we have issues within a spiritual family and we pray to the Lord and we say, Lord, please help us. Maybe it's with a brother and sister in Christ and we don't know what to do. And we just, we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. So this morning, I thought I would talk about when we feel like Job, okay? When you feel like Job, so many times in your family, in your family, in your environment, within your family, in the relationships that you have, you feel like Job. Now, we understand the story of Job and we know that story. We know that uh, Job had some tremendous losses in his life. We know that Job was uh, wiped out financially in one day. Some of you in your family element right now, that may be an issue with you, okay? And you don't know which way to turn. We know that Job was stricken with balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. We know that uh, those balls were very, very painful. Some of you within your family unit right now, you may be thinking, boy, we got some pain. We have cancer. We have sickness within our family. And we've prayed to God and we say, please heal my wife. Please heal my husband. Please help my children. They're dealing with this physical pain. And then we know that Job in Job chapter 3, he uh, not only, well, in Job chapter 2, he lost all of his kids. Maybe that's where you are today within your family. There's going to be a missing place this holiday season at Christmas time because there's someone in your family. And you prayed for them. You prayed for them. And you ask God to help you, to give you wisdom, to help for healing and, and all those issues. And then we know that Job, he began to do what we often do when it seems like God is silent. We begin to ask why. Three times in Job chapter 3, he'll ask God why. Now Job was, a, the Bible says he was perfect, he was upright, he feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He was a church-going person. You know, it's hard to understand when we pray for family members and we pray for things in our lives and we go to church and we try the best. We're not perfect, but we try the best we can to live the life. And it seems like God doesn't hear us. That happened to Job. Even as great as he was and the great faith that he had, 
In Job chapter 30 and verse 20, Job said to God, he said, I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. You ever felt that way to God? Hmm? I stand up and you regard me. Actually, that's not a real good translation. Well, it's a good translation. It's just not in our modern vernacular today, our, our vocabulary today. What he's actually saying is, I stand up and you don't recognize me. I stand up, God, and it's like you pay no attention to me. You've been there. Maybe you're there right now in your family. You see, this is not a new thing, folks, to struggle with this. And to struggle with God and our, our prayer life for our family members and for, for others as well. Maybe that's one of the reasons why probably the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Because God understood man and he understood the problems that we would have in life. And God says, I want to get this out here. I want to give this story to people to help them as they struggle with the problems of life and even as they struggle with the relationship that they have with me. I'll be honest with you, in my life, I thought as a young preacher I had this thing of prayer sort of figured out. But as I got older, I realized that <clears throat> that maybe sometimes this thing of prayer and praying to God for things is more confusing than ever before in my life. And I sort of come to the grips that we'll never really, really understand it. That all we have to do and all we can do is like Job, we have to learn to put our trust in God and realize, as we'll see today, that God knows best. That He knows best. And through the years we have these, these confusing ideas about uh, prayer. Some, some people think of prayer as a meaning ritual. Okay? We do it because we're told we have to do it. We're reading the Bible, we have to do it, and so we do it. And sometimes we like a little boy that sits down, you know, at the table, and, and they're about ready to say the prayer, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, can I be the one that talks to the plate tonight? Maybe sometimes that's the way we feel about prayer. It's just like nothing more than just talking to a plate, because it seems that God is silent. Sometimes... We think that prayer is like an Aladdin's lamp, you know? You rub it and the genie pops out and your wish is my command. And when we think of that, we get, it's easy to get misled and to misunderstand this whole thing about prayer. Some of us, we think of prayer as a magic wand that you wave. Some of us, we think of uh, prayer as a, a first aid kit. It's there and you got it. And you put it aside and you take it with you and if there ever comes a time you need it, it's there. That's the only time that you ever use it. For some of us, and I think this is where a lot of us find ourselves and where we're really talking about, we see prayer as a tug of war, okay? I'm over here tugging and God's over here and I'm, I'm being trying to be persistent because the Bible says we need to be persistent and I'm working with God, and God is working with me, and we're just sort of this tug of war. And finally, hopefully, if I pray enough prayers, and I you know, have enough tears, and I keep uh, enough pleas to God, maybe he will give an answer. And maybe it will be the answer that I want. Here's one thing I do know. Even though sometimes prayer is still a, a mystery to me, and why he doesn't answer those prayers that I pray for my family members and others. 
I know this. I know that God wants to answer my prayers. He does. You look in the Bible, especially you look in the New Testament, and as you look in the New Testament, you'll see such phrases as anytime, talking about prayer, anytime, anything, anywhere, everything. Or you read this passage, Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, where he would say, call to me, God does. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And we look at passages like that and, and the other passages in the New Testament and we say, is this false advertisement? I mean, God says, you call to me and I'll answer you. I mean, is, is God trying to tease me or something? And so we wondered. Now we've been around and we know that God answers prayer in three ways. God always wants to answer our prayer. He'll either answer yes, he'll say no, or he'll say let's wait a while. And boy, doesn't it seem like in life when we struggle with it in our family relationships and we struggle with our relationships in our spiritual family and with other people, doesn't it seem like we sure get a whole lot more no's and waits than we do yeses? Doesn't it seem that way? And so, that brings on the struggle that we have with prayer. Did you know, if you just take it, it'd be a great study, you just read through the Bible and see how many times God would say no in the Bible. Abraham says, Lord, I, I want Ishmael to be the promised son. And God says, nope. Moses says, I want to see the promised land. And God says, no. David says, I want you to spare my boy. God says, no. Jonah says, I want to take a Mediterranean cruise. And God said, no, -uh. not going to happen. Sometimes as we pray for the things that go on in our family, it can be the most baffling things. Now, the three things I want you to keep in mind as we, um, as we struggle, okay? As we try to deal with relationships. First of all, I'll give you a principle, and then we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul on three different occasions, because you know what? God said no to him sometimes, and sometimes God said wait. What I want to give you is a principle here, and I want you to remember it. It's a simple principle, but it's a tremendous, powerful principle. In life, when you can't sort of figure out what's going on in your family relationships, in life, when you struggle with decisions you have to make, problems you have to deal with, you remember this. You always do what's right. And if you do what's right, God will do what's best. You write that down. You remember that. Whatever it may be in your life that you struggle with, you always do the right thing. That's what happened to Job. Yes, he's human. He'll ask why and he'll struggle. Why don't you answer with me? But you remember, you always do the right thing and God will do what's best. Three things I want you to remember as you struggle this holiday season with family members, as you struggle with prayer. Number one, you remember this, that God has a bigger perspective. When God, it seems like, has said no to you. And it seems like, you know, you've been waiting way too long for an answer to this prayer. Remember, 
that God has a bigger perspective. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. And let's notice verses 6 through verse 8. In, the, in this particular situation with the Apostle Paul, notice, he's on his second missionary journey. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia or Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia or Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now here's the situation. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he wants to go to Bithynia. You see on the map up there that Bithynia is right there at the southern part of the, of the Black Sea. It's a region. Paul's thinking as a missionary would think. You see up in Bithynia, oh man, there are people up there. Big cities up there. There are port cities up there. People come in from all over the world. And he's thinking like any missionary, there's no better place in the world to go and to preach the gospel. You've got all these people there. Missionaries know that it's much better to go to a larger place than to a, a smaller place because you have more from which to pull. And besides that, the culture is the same culture that he's used to because there are a lot of Jews up there as well. There's the same language. You don't have the language barrier. You know if you've done any mission work at all that many times the culture and the language is a tremendous barrier. I mean a tremendous barrier in trying to preach the gospel. And so, you know, logic says that's where you want to go. You know what God says? Uh-uh. No way. God says, I'm going to send you to Philippi. Now, he doesn't say that literally like I just said it, but that's the whole thing. He said, we're going in another direction, Paul. Now, here's the thing. Philippi. Philippi is a little bitty city. Just a little bitty city. Philippi is about uh, a quarter of a mile long and 200 yards wide. Not many people there. And also, guess what? It's filled with old people. Now, I'm an old person. I'm not putting old people down. I'm an old person. But it's filled with old people because, you see, it was a place where Roman soldiers would retire and go to. Now, you look at this. You got over here, you got Bithynia. You got big city. You got the gospel could be taken and leave the ports and go to all the world. You don't have the language barrier. And then you look down here, you're going into another culture. You're going to where there's a bunch of old folks and there's not many people. I mean, common sense would say what? Common sense would say, go to Bithynia. There came a time in Paul's life that God said no. You see, folks, God sees the big picture. God sees the beginning of the parade of your life and he sees the middle and he sees the end. God has the wide lens on. And as we know in Hebrews 4, that all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, we can't predict the future. There's no way in the world. And neither can we choose the consequences of our choices. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? 
I mean, if we could choose the consequences of our, our choices, we could solve all of our problems. You'd never run out of gas because you would do beforehand, before time you were going to run out of gas. You'd never be on the side of the road where your car broke down because you knew it was going to happen before it happened. You'd make all A's or a test. I mean, you just think about it. You'd never be late for anything because you knew what was going to keep you from being late beforehand. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says this. He guards the paths of justice. Watch that. He preserves the way of his saints. Many times God will say no in our lives. And God will say wait. And the reason he's doing that, folks, is to protect us from unforeseen problems. Because you don't know. You don't know. Let's go back to this thing about Paul going to Philippi. I mean, why he says, Bithynia, God, what in the world are you thinking? Now let's go. Paul goes to Philippi. The church is established, and Paul later on in his ministry would write these words in Philippians 4, 15 through 16. Watch it. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Whoa. Whoa. This was a church filled with old folks. But their pockets were deep. And God sends Paul to Philippi, and one of the reasons is to build those relationships. Because God can see the big picture, and God can see down the end of time, and he knew that Paul was going to need some financing as he went about preaching the gospel. Now you think about that. Bithynia, okay, maybe we can bring thousands to Christ here, but what about going to Philippi? It didn't seem logical, but you know what? More and more and more and more people would be brought to Jesus Christ than ever in Bithynia because there were people in Philippi that were supporting him financially. Paul couldn't see that. Oh, there's something else I want to add to it. Go with me to Philippians 4, verse 22. Paul would say this. He says, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Wait a minute. Can you see Paul? He, he's, he's in Rome and he's in prison and he's in Caesar's household. And he says, hey, do you know so-and-so to another Roman soldier? You know, and he says, yeah, I know him. Well, he, you know, I, he, I met him at Philippi. He's retired there and, and a relationship is formed, okay? A connection is made. You see, folks, Sometimes when it seems God has said no or God says wait, we have to understand that God has a bigger perspective. Now what did Paul do? What did he do? Go back to the principle. You do what is right and God will always do what's best. That's what Paul did. I mean, can you imagine being Paul and thinking, this doesn't make sense, but what did Paul do? He did the right thing. He did what God said to do. 
And what happened? Paul's ministry would be blessed financially and in many other ways. Here's the second thing you need to remember. As you struggle praying for those people in your life, in your families, and it's this. When God says no, you remember that God has a better plan. He has a better plan. It's an amazing thing when you look at the desire that Paul had to go to Rome. You know, Paul, for some, well, he understood. We've got to get the gospel to Europe. Paul understood how important it was. This is the, the heart and soul of the Roman Empire that's all over the world. We've got to get the gospel. And it was this tremendous desire. For example, in Romans 1, 11 through 15. Notice, he says, I long to see you. He says, I often plan to come to you. As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. Now that was his desire. That was his prayer. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Well, Paul eventually got to Rome. He did. But he did get there the way he thought he ought to get there. He didn't get, to get there the way he expected to get there. Now, I, I don't know Paul's mind, and the Bible's silent on this, but you know how missionaries think? Well, we're going to go into Rome. We'll rent that Colosseum. We'll fill that Colosseum up and we'll preach the gospel. And there in Rome, we'll bring thousands of people to the Lord. How does Paul finally go? Now, God will answer his prayer, but he answers in an entirely different way. It's okay, Paul, we'll go. But you're going to go through a shipwreck. And you're going to go to Rome in chains. And you're going to be in prison, Rome. Paul, wait a minute. What? How in the world can this be effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's more effective, Lord, I'm thinking. It's more effective than let him go in and fill the Colosseums up. Let him go in and do what he does best. But God says, no. You're going to be in a prison. You see, it doesn't make sense. You see, folks, God had a better plan. God had a better plan. What does Paul do when he's in that Roman prison? He starts writing. He writes the biggest part of the New Testament, not necessarily all of them in Roman prison. But a lot of those books came from that Roman prison. I wonder if God thought, you know, I gotta corral this man. This man has got a spirit, he's got a passion. But I gotta leave something for the ages. And maybe, maybe this is the way God thought. I don't know. Maybe if we can corral him and put him in prison, he's going to have the time to write. So you think about it. In the, in the big picture of things, which is going to be the most effective? Okay? In the big picture of things, going into Rome and bringing thousands of people to Christ or putting something in writing that is inspired by God that will last through the ages and thousands and thousands of years where lives will be influenced by that writing. Understand something. 
When it seems like God's not answering your prayers, he's saying no, he's saying, well, you remember something. He wants to answer that prayer. And sometimes he has a better plan. You know, God wants to answer them. Look, look at Isaiah 55. You know that passage. He says, nor are your ways my ways. And my ways are higher than your ways. Sometimes we think we got it all planned out and how God already answered. God says, no, 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 no. No way. And here's one of the things that I've noticed. That when we think we've got to figure it out and we bring our request to God, we usually bring the most logical request. But his ways are not our ways. And here's another thing I, I, I've learned through life, and that is that God will, or we will many times, choose the least painful way of answering our prayers. Sometimes God says, no, we're going to have to go through a little pain here because it's going to be a whole lot better on the other end. In Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, look at this, that great hall of faith. Notice, he says, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, these are men and women who would die. These are men and women who shed their blood. Now, look what it says. Did not receive the promise. God having presided something better for us. Wow. Daniel comes to God and he says, God, he says, I don't want to go through the lion's den. Deliver me from the lion's den. And God said, no, I've got a better plan. What we're going to do is we're going to shut the mouth of the lions and we're going to bring a nation to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who wouldn't bow? Who wouldn't budge? Who wouldn't bend? Who wouldn't burn? They said, Lord, keep us out of the fiery furnace. He said, no. He said, we're going to go through the fiery furnace and I'm going to go through the fiery furnace with you and we're going to bring a king to me and we're going to bring a nation to me. Keep in mind that many times when it seems that God has said no, that he has a better plan. And here's the last thing. You remember that God always has a greater purpose. It seems like God just isn't listening, that he has a greater purpose. We go to a familiar passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through verse 10. Notice, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, one of the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning the things I pleaded with the Lord three times. Get that? He pleaded three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, no. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I took pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, here's what we're going to do. I got a greater purpose for you, Paul. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, through this, through this storm of the flesh, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to answer your prayer like that. But I'm going to make you stronger. I'm going to make you better. 
Let's tie into that. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and look at this passage for just a moment. Verses 16 through verse 17. Look at it. We know this. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now watch verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, behind every problem, God has a purpose. Sometimes we can't see that purpose. And sometimes we don't understand it. But what do we do? We do that which is right. And God is going to do that which is best. I think through the years, one of the things also I've learned is that one of the marks of maturity spiritually is that you learn to accept the no's of God. Or you learn to accept the weights. You know, we don't give our kids everything they ask for, do we? Because we know that there's some things that are just not good for them that they ask for. We know there are some things that are just better for them. And we don't give it to them because, you know what, we love those kids. Think about this. Didn't Jesus learn that? Oh, remember this, as you struggle... As you struggle to pray for those kids and as you struggle to pray for that spouse, as you, you struggle to pray for those family members or whatever they're going through, whether it be physical, emotional, or relational, oh, you remember this. God even said no to His Son. Remember Gethsemane? Yeah. Take this from me. If it be possible, please, Father, take this from me. What did God do? God said no. Why? Because God had a greater purpose. He had a greater purpose. And that was to save the world. Now, I've got about one or two minutes here. Ah, maybe six minutes. I'll leave you with these two thoughts. Remember this. Well, first of all, as you struggle with your prayer life and those relationships in the family, you remember God has a bigger perspective. And God has a better plan for us, just as He did Paul. And God has a greater purpose. We just do what's right, and He'll do what's best. Two things to remember everything that God does, folks, He does it out of love. He does. Everything he does, he does it out of love. Because here's what happens. When it seems like God is not listening, and it seems like we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed, you know what? Satan comes and he tells you, look at it, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Has he answered that prayer? Huh? Has he answered it? One of the things that Satan wants to do is we struggle in our relationships and as we pray and we pray and we pray, Satan wants us to believe that 
God doesn't care and God doesn't love us. It's just the opposite. God loves us too much to allow all of our requests. Can you imagine what it would be? I mean, God's not a, he's not a vending machine where you go put in a prayer and you get out a, a, a something. Some of the things you get out of any machine are, are bad. Can you imagine if God came to us and he, he gave us everything we wanted? Why, can you imagine what would happen? Some, most of us might not even be here because people could pray that we die and we'd be gone. Can you imagine how selfish we would become and how spoiled we become if God answered everything we prayed for? Everything God does, He does it out of love, and I'll leave you with this. God always gives us grace to say no when we say no. God always gives us the grace, and God will give us the strength if we'll do that which is right. Some of you are going through some storms right now within your family or even within your own self. And you have prayed and you've prayed and you say, God, please remove it. Please remove it. More than likely, God's saying, look, you're not going to go through this by yourself. You just take my hand. You do what's right. And I'm going to walk with you through this valley. If you let me walk through this valley with you, we're going to come out of that valley much stronger. And we're going to come out of that valley a whole lot better. You know, the Lord, and we read this a few moments ago, has an eternal purpose for us. We read that from 2 Corinthians 4, and Paul understood that. That everything that's going on in God's providential care of us and taking and being with us providentially. God has an eternal purpose and reason in mind. And even though we can't understand it and figure it out in this life, we will someday figure it out on the other side. So I hope you'll remember some of these thoughts that we've talked about today as you struggle with issues in your family, and issues in your own life and in the lives of others outside your family. And I know you're not gonna remember a whole lot of the stuff I said. Just remember, this is what you take with you, okay? It'll bless your life. You always do what's right. And God will always do what's best. You can't beat it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the time we've had together in your word. And Father, as we struggle, as we struggle with issues and within our families, in ourselves, oh, we feel ourselves sometimes just like Job. We cry out to you. But it seems like you didn't answer. Help us to realize you really, really want to answer our prayers more than anything. Help us understand you have the big picture. So many times you have a better plan for us. Father, we thank you for this wonderful avenue.
And we pray, Father, that as we struggle with issues and we pray, that we do not get tired of praying and that we never give up on you. Understanding that you're in the valley with us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.